Did you know one of the world's top academic programs is right in your neighborhood? At Basis Independent Silicon Valley, passionate teachers, curious students, and a globally benchmarked curriculum featuring advanced math, science, and robotics make for an exceptional learning experience. Meet and greet our world-class faculty and staff at one of our upcoming information sessions or tour our grade 5 through 12 private school campus. Register at basisindependent.com slash Spotify SV. Welcome to the Stolen Signs podcast with me, Kendall Gilmet, and my co-host, Harry Pavlidis of Baseball Prospectus. Hi, Kendall. Hi, Harry. How are you doing? Good. We're, we're finally doing our podcast. We are. This is something that we, you know, it was funny when you first brought it up to me because I long thought about doing a stats podcast and thought it'd be too much work. So then you came along looking very willing to do all the work. So I'm glad to be here to talk. Uh, I think it's important, though, you know, that we talk, you know, the impetus behind the show, which I, is to not just learn, as, you, as you've said, but also to get to know the people around it and how they got there. So I think what we're going to usually do is, is have guests on to talk about some stat or topic and talk with him in depth. And tonight we are actually going to have a couple of our friends from Baseball Prospectus join us to talk about something. And they are going to tell us a bit about their background. But tonight it's about us. All about us. That's right. So I'm going to, I'll kick it off here and I'll tell you all about me. Um, yeah. So like I said, my name is Kendall Gilmet, and uh, I live in Portland, Oregon. And I started following baseball at a pretty young age, my first game was, I think, in 1982. It was a Tigers-Yankees game at Tiger Stadium. And um, I have very fond memories of Tiger Stadium. Um, but uh, I also moved to Chicago in 1984, which was a good year to move to Chicago. That was a um, year. But I moved from, from Michigan, so I was a Tigers fan growing up. And then I moved to Chicago... And uh, so I was, I was a little bit um, conflicted, but uh, I determined that all of my friends liked the Cubs. And so that seemed like a pretty good thing to do, um, even though I still had a little bit, a little piece of my heart that was for the Tigers. And it was a good thing. And that paid off for me. Uh, so I got to learn a little bit about the heartbreak of being a Cubs fan, but also got a little bit of the glory with the World Series in 1984. So um, that Fast forward to um, post-college, I would say, and I really um, got into baseball through, this is so cliche, but like Moneyball, I read Moneyball and I was like, oh, that's interesting, that's cool. And then shortly after that, my wife got me um, the, what is it, Baseball Between the Numbers? from BP that BP put together yes. uh, a long time ago and uh, read that cover to cover and was like, like, this is amazing. Um, super interesting stuff. Uh, I'm a, a web developer by trade. And so um, 
it kind of got my brain going on kind of using technology and using data um, to learn and to uh, get to know the sport that I loved already. Uh, and, and that was kind of my gateway drug to um, start, you know, reading baseball prospectus and, you know, listening to various podcasts and just kind of getting sucked into the baseball prospectus ecosystem and vortex and all of that. And then uh, fast forward that a couple of years, met Harry, started talking with him and uh, eventually started doing a little bit of work for BP on the development side. And um, I, uh, I suggested to Harry, we were working on some projects and I suggested to Harry that we use Slack and um, Slack was an app that I had used and I thought it was cool and I thought it would be helpful to kind of keep track of stuff for our work at BP. And Harry was like, sure, let's try that out. And we did. And what happened um, from my perspective was, um, one, there was a cool collaborative tool that we could use on the projects that I was working on, but I also had access to kind of be a fly on the wall for other conversations that were going on. And this was around the time, around the time where, you know, some catcher framing stuff was being worked on yes. and things like that. And so I was able to just observe, uh, the process of thinking about these things. And most of the words that people said didn't make sen any sense to me. Um, but I was able to follow along just enough to kind of track what people were saying. And that got me thinking about, like, how, how does this whole thing work? And, and why do people do it? And why is it important? You know, stats and analysis and thinking about the, these things kind of from a, a broader perspective than just like, oh, yeah, like baseball has a lot of stats. But like, you know, like there, there, there are stories behind it. There are decisions every step along the way, especially for more, the more advanced stuff. Um, and, and that's fascinating to me. And so you, you inadvertently put yourself in the middle of that place, because I think this was originally for us to work on the web projects. Totally. Like yeah. Marketing stuff. Yep. And it, I, I basically I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I think I think you, <laughs> not, you, I, you I lost control very quickly. <laughs> and there's, and uh, there's a lot of people there, and it is you have you are witnessing the birth and death of a lot of ideas. Yeah, and it's it's super interesting, and uh, that's been a really um, a really cool thing for me, and um, I think part of why I wanted to start doing this show was um, to kind of be a proxy for for other people to to sit in and be flies on the walls of um, of some of this stuff and to meet people and learn about people who are doing this stuff or who are kind of you know neck deep in it and uh, because it's it's been fascinating for me and um, I think it's really uh, I, my hope for this is is that we can kind of open it up and, and make this more accessible, this this kind of conversation more accessible to everybody, because I think it really it's helped me enjoy baseball more. And uh, and I think it has the ability to, to help other people enjoy baseball more. So that's kind of 
where I'm coming from and what I'm what I'm hoping for for uh, for our show. What about you, Harry? Yeah, but this you know this show for me is a chance to do what you just said, which is basically get more people engaged and understand the process that we're going through. And I'm, I'm used to being either an expert or the manager of the experts. And that's kind of a, <clears throat> puts me in a, in, in a position of discourse and dialogue that I never thought I, I, I won't be a good host for a show like this. And I think what Kendall's description of himself coming from the, uh, you know, as the non-statistician, I don't think you use that word. I'll put those words in your mouth, though. Uh, I'm definitely not a statistician. Yeah. I mean, I'll I don't think I, I'm not either. But I think, you know, I abuse numbers. Well, you, you don't. Um, <laughs> so not publicly. I, I, so it, it's having that point of view, I, I felt, was more valuable to an audience than me and my friends and colleagues sitting and talking. Um, which is basically what would happen without someone like Kendall to help guide us. So I, 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 we both have a big curiosity about human nature. I think we both find people very interesting based on our conversations that we have. Yep. And uh, so I think we're both interested in, in how these things happen and how these things come together. And I think as we go through the show and, how I, I, and different types of guests we want to bring on, some we're going to know well, some we might not know as well. And, and I know some of the stories we're going to, you know, are, I, I can already think ahead to what some of the stories that you're going to hear as you listen to this podcast will be in the future. And they're going to be really interesting, kind of funny and kind of strange because, and I'll, I'll kind of give my whole background on how I got into baseball because it's, it's weird. Like baseball has, has gradually over the course of approximately 40 years swallowed me whole. And uh, it started out as a child where, I was uh, just into sports, like many kids are in this country and other countries. But I was into baseball and, and, and hockey, I think, was probably my first love. I think the first athlete I can remember liking was Bobby Clark from the Philadelphia Flyers. So uh, growing up in central New Jersey at that time, I was exposed to Phillies, Mets, and Yankees. And I was in 1970s New Jersey, so the 69 Mets were the greatest thing that ever happened. I now live in Chicago, and I've seen the other side of the 1969 experience, <laughs> and it's really interesting. So that's given me some perspective. The first major league game I ever saw was in Candlestick Park in 1979. It was actually a doubleheader. Uh, I saw J.R. Richard pitch in that game. William McCovey pinch hit there. Uh, and in the 1980s, I was a Mets fan, and I and I, you know, watched a lot of baseball on TV on the weekends, and even the regular broadcast during the week on WOR, WPIX. So, you know, I got to watch. We lived a little further north in Jersey at that point. Got to watch, you know, plenty of baseball and sports growing up. And I took it even further than just watching. I got into Stratomatic. So, if people listening don't know what Stratomatic is. Just Google it. Basically, it's a card game and dice game that you simulate game play. Uh, I started with hockey, went on to baseball. And that's what taught me the probabilistic natures of the game. It taught me that it's without an explicit set of math books and probability books, it taught me all the basic concepts of 
how baseball plays are actually strung together, how it's a sequence of, of probabilities that happen in typically very discrete steps. And it, you measure it with outs and runs, and it's not a clock. And it's an incredibly different game. So it's driven by what happens with each event, not how much time is left running out on the clock. You just can't sit there and wait for the clock to run out. You actually have to figure out how to get the 27th out. So in theory, it's possible to lose any lead. You can have an 0-2 count in the ninth inning. You can be winning by 10 runs, and you could still lose the game. Uh, so baseball subverted kind of the typical sports outcome processes and probably became more interesting to me than hockey over that time. Uh, but then as I got older, I got less into baseball and my career took me into similar stuff, what Kendall does today, but many years ago, um, doing web development and things like that. And I got into baseball professionally because of pitch FX and because I had some basic web programming skills, I knew how to scrape data. And since I was obsessed with baseball, I could handle sifting through massive amounts of pitching, pitch tracking data. And I built up a massive database, asked Dan Brooks to help me with it. He was too lazy to really help me with it, so he just published it. And in the past 10 years, I've gradually become a full-time data provider and manager, and as well as the director of technology here at BP. So I, I've, the final steps of this taking my life over was, you know, I was laid off from work in 2009. My wife was suffering very much from lupus. And in the past 10 years, that's still been the case. But baseball was there for me when I was out of work and needed to be at home and allowed me to develop a career. So I feel very obliged professionally to pay back because it's given me opportunities to have a life that I don't think I could have had with any other profession. So I think the reasons people get into baseball are varied. The reasons I got into baseball are strange, but I think that we're going to meet a lot of people who have all sorts of different reasons for why they ask questions and how they end up working in baseball. And I hope to show that the non-traditional pathways can be some of the most successful and fruitful ones. And I think some of the analysts you're going to meet that Kendall and I are going to have on are non-traditional. They don't come from some math, academic math program or an economics degree from Harvard. They may be music majors, they may be lawyers, they may be something altogether different, uh, but they have ideas and passions about baseball and we're going to get to talk to them about those things and have them teach us about all their fancy ideas. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I think that that's really exciting that there is such a breadth of experience that has brought us all together to 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 the, about something we care about and uh, spend a lot of time with and uh, and I'm excited to to talk about it more with you and with um, with all of our upcoming guests. And we also want to know from our listeners what they want us to talk about. Yes. <laughs> we have our own ideas. You know, before we, before we sign off, we want you to make sure that you understand that uh, this is all just an idea. And we think it's going to be interesting to talk about these things. We think it'll be interesting if people exchange their stories and 
hopefully get into some interesting conversations about each other's backgrounds instead of soliloquies. <laughs> but we want to know how you learn, what types of baseball topics might be of interest, what type of people, uh, because that way you'll help us from keep, you know, broaden our circles. Because even though between Kendall and I, we have a lot of friends in this business, it's just our circles. Yep. And part of this is going to be opening up to other ideas. So yeah. at some point you'll have to pay close attention because Kendall's going to give you some addresses yeah, and some yeah. ways to reach us. Yeah. So the the way that you can reach out to us is uh, you can hit us up uh, via email at stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectives.com. And that's also our Twitter handle. So stolen underscore signs on Twitter and um, via email at baseball perspectives. So either one of those things, um, if you want to just give us any feedback about the show today or um, say hello um, on Twitter, uh, feel free. That would be awesome. And, and like Harry said, um, we really want to understand what it is, what questions you have or interests that you have that, that we can talk about and reach out to uh, either people we know or introduce us to people we don't know that, that we should know. So I think that that would be really cool. And um, yeah, we'll be back uh, after this. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, give a little intro to pitch tunneling. And uh, then we'll have on our guests, Jeff Long and Kate Morrison, to talk about that a little bit more in depth and to share their stories with us as well. Stick around. And um, today we're going to be talking um, a little bit later with Kate Morrison and Jeff Long about some pitch tunnels and pitch sequencing stuff. And before we do that, we want to I want to ask Harry a little bit about pitch tunnels and pitch tunnel data that um, he and Jeff and some other folks have been working on. And um, so, Harry, can you give us a just like a high-level overview of what pitch tunnels are, what the data means, all of that kind of stuff. Anything that you might that might be yeah. germane to the conversation. Basically, yeah, I mean, basically the concept is one that's just as old as pitching is, itself. Um, the, the idea that you know the batter has to make a decision about the pitch before the ball has arrived. Uh, to them. So there's this, this kind of idea that if the batter has less information to distinguish speed and location of the pitch, uh, say halfway to the plate, where they generally have to decide to start a swing or not, that, that you know, you can do a better job getting them out. It's just, you know, you can't tell what, if that ball is a fastball or a curveball until it's too late to decide. So this notion of the ball coming out of a tunnel and at that point, you know, if, if that tunnel is really wide because your curveball and your fastball don't don't stay together, then that's that's makes it easier in theory for the hitter to identify the pitch. But if your tunnel's really narrow, the ball's coming out pretty much laid out over the same pathway, almost, you know, halfway to the plate, 
that's considered a small tunnel, tight tunnel. It's more deceptive. I think the, the big concept behind this is, is that that's a helpful thing, but it's not a mandatory thing because obviously pitchers like to change some pitchers like to change their arm slots. And that that's totally the opposite of tunneling, you know? So the, the notion that, it's the best way to pitch is it, or it's a it's a positive to negative scale is is a little misleading so we we, we have all these numbers and uh, what the distance is between the ball at this point how much break there is after it uh, how much speed difference there might be but the most important things of all these quantities is that you can use them to qualitatively understand the pitcher and their approach and what they're doing so you know, our, our guests later will talk a bit about some of the different things pitchers do and why they're doing it. And I think the key thing to remember is that this isn't about good or bad so much, but more about having a very precise, quantitative way of understanding a pitcher's approach and, and style of, of how they're doing things. And I, I think there's one name you'll hear a lot of, not un- not on this broadcast, but in general around pitch tunnels. And it's a guy named Perry Husband. And I think it's important to to note that this is not quite what he's talking about. What his concepts were more from the hitter's perspective and about the relative uh, speed of the bat for the ball being placed in different you know, parts of the strike zone. And is that, and they, he, he it, talked about effective velocity, is that right? Yeah, it's the yep. effective velocity. Okay. So yep. it's a related concept. It's a very strong related, related concept. But what most of a husband's work is theoretical. I mean, there's a lot of numbers in it, but it's theoretical. There, there's no actual empirical findings to support it. So we were more interested in doing, you know, we were definitely influenced by that. We read his book and we read, you know, literally dozens of things about this subject. But the thing is, we want it to be quantified so then people can start doing research. And what Jeff and Kate are going to tell us about in a few minutes here is about an extension of these basic concepts, and not just on a research track, but also in terms of producing additional data for other people to produce research as well. Got it. So let me back you up just a little bit. So the pitch tunneling data measures... Uh, halfway from halfway yeah, to home plate, halfway, about twenty-five feet from the plate, and yeah. and then from there, it's location and break. The, yeah, those are so kind the of the first two. Thing is what's the location? Well, really, we start at release point. You know, how okay. far yep. is the release? Which is you know relative distance. It's going to be a bigger difference. There is going to be you know more important than a small difference closer up. Right. Or excuse me, you know what I mean. Um, so we start with that. How far is that? What's the gap at release? Then we say, what's their gap at the tunnel point? And we just chose a fixed point in space, a distance, which is probably not perfect. But for the, the first rendition of this, this data set, we thought that would be the most reasonable way to handle the problem for various reasons. Uh, so it's so you take that point. At, so when the balls travel to that point, you know, 25 or so feet from home plate, we then measure, okay, how far apart are the ball? pitch one and pitch two when they cross that point. Uh, and then from there on, we measure how much they break, which is, you know, just to get a difference of, you know, how close together are they and then how much did they diverge beyond what their, you know, trajectory may have been, which so if they're matched at release and they're matched at tunnel, really the only thing left is spin <laughs> to move them to break. So that's, we, that's an important thing. Uh, then we also just point out where they, cro- where they actually crossed home plate. 
uh, which will is helpful. And then there's ratios between these things as well. So what's the ratio of your break after the pitch? How much is the pitch breaking relative to the distance between the two pitches at the tunnel point, things like that. Okay. Uh, so, and then there's the difference in flight time, which is just the difference in speed. So right. you can see how guys change speed. So there's lots of different separate data points. And basically for every pitcher, we know that we take all their fastballs that were followed by another fastball. And that's one row of data and so forth and so on. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks for giving us a little primer there so we can understand um, what Jeff and Kate are going to be talking about here in a little bit. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back in a few minutes and um, hear what they have to say about uh, their upcoming presentation at Sabre Seminar about pitch tunneling and sequencing. Today we have Jeff Long and Kate Morrison, who are going to be presenting uh, at Sabre Seminar 2017, and they're here to talk a little bit about what they're going to be presenting and um, also just talk to us in general about pitch tunnels and pitch sequencing and um, what they're all about. So thanks for joining us, Jeff and Kate. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So if you guys could give us a a brief overview of kind of what you're going to be talking about at Sabre Seminar and um, and, and what you want to share with with our listeners here. And um, yeah, just kind of take it from there. Sure. I guess. Um, So we kind of originally, we, we really wanted to build on the initial concept of pitch tunnels. Um, and, and we released that data in January. And I think it was one of those things where it was sort of like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. And we have a lot of new data points that we can look at. Um, but we weren't really sure how to use it. And when I say we, I mean kind of everybody involved in the project. I mean, we had an idea that it was pretty important, but we didn't necessarily know what exactly it meant or how it should be used to better understand pitchers and and those sorts of things. And so over time, we've tried to poke and prod at it and figure out what's really meaningful in here. And I think one of the things that became evident fairly quickly was this idea that the pitch that you throw, this is going to sound really silly, but the pitch that you throw before the one you're about to throw is really important. Um, And this is sort of, Harry and I have talked a lot about the fact that we're really sort of just quantifying things that baseball players already know. Um, And so really this is sort of the concept of setting up hitters that the, you know, you throw a particular pitch so that you can follow it up with the pitch that you really want to throw. Um, but we had an inkling that this was really important. And we saw through some of the pitch tunnels data that, you know, there was something to that idea, something to that concept. And it naturally led itself to a deeper conversation about pitch sequencing and 
how pitchers link pitches together and what sort of combinations they like to go to. And Kate had previously presented about pitch sequencing at Sabre Seminar. And so we felt like it was a natural fit to start bringing those two worlds together. Um, and so it sort of starts with pitch tunnels and this concept of how two pitches are similar or different and what the hitter is adjusting to when he's looking at those two pitches. Um, but then it gets into the choices that the hitter is making as they go. And I, I'll let Kate kind of expand on how we tied in pitch sequencing, but uh, that was sort of the impetus behind what we started to look at from a research standpoint. Well, my um, two years ago, my abstract on uh, was on really was looking at pitching in a different way rather than looking at it strictly as pitch to pitch. So, you know, fastball, change up, slider, they're throwing this, they're throwing that. Um, and it can be really easy to look and say, oh, well, this guy always gets beaten on his slider or something like that. Um, and I was really interested in the decisions that go behind, uh, that, that go on between pitches, that go on in, go into deciding what pitch to throw next. And so my, my presentation was really uh, kind of a, a broad overview at what if we looked at pitching as uh, more culminations of strings, which fits right into this um, theory on uh, pitch tunneling and uh, pitch uh, selection. So what, what we're really looking at is the difference between two pitches and what that does to the outcome of the second pitch. So when you look at a net bat, when you when you look at a net bat, it's you know it's a finite kind of moment in time between a pitcher and a batter. And you know, obviously I, I believe it's pitcher, batter, and catcher. It's a three-person relationship there. But it's a you know, each so to say it's like an Ian Kinsler nine pitch at bat or something like that. In those nine pitches, you have all of these different relationships between pitch to pitch. And that's what we're really looking at is it, you know, are those relationships significant? Because, you know, logically you think, oh, well, of, of course they are. I mean, that's why we look at at-bats. That's why we look at these pitchers. That's why we talk about, you know, good break on a curveball or something like that. But obviously, I mean, we've had things that were intuitive or that seemed intuitive in baseball be kind of counterproven by deeper dives using analytics. And so it's always good to get into the numbers and get into what's what's going on on kind of a you know microscopic level and say how are these things connected within results. So that's kind of the new addition to the work that you guys are are bringing up into this this talk, isn't it? Because what we published to date is just the, the relationship between the two pitches in terms of yeah. space where they were in break. But what you guys have, 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 have layered in now are what the outcomes are uh, and how those relate to pitch pairs of different characteristics, right? Uh, yeah, that's, that, I mean, on a kind of a high, high level, that it's adding in a third dimension. Well, and I think too, you know, we went into uh, this conversation and tried to sort of figure out What's interesting is when you look at things from like an analytical standpoint and you start to try and quantify, um, you know, phenomenon that we see that occur in the game, right? Back to back pitches. And we try start to literally quantify what is the distance between those two pitches? How close are they? How far are they apart? What have you? Um, 
it's really easy to sort of get away from the context of, of what these pitches are doing in relation to one another or what they're doing in relation to the goal of the pitcher in that particular at bat. And this is a really good way for us to layer that context back on. Um, so we, it's, it's just, a, I think it's really important to look at things from that sort of context agnostic point of view to get a better picture of what's going on. But then the application of the data really comes when you're able to layer that context back in and put it into a context of what is the outcome of that pitch? What is the result? Because ultimately that's what pitchers care about, right? They care about better results. And so yeah. it's not so, a so useful. So it's not the result of a pitch so much as result of two pitches is yeah. really the, the, the research question that, that, you know, I think that's been lacking for many years that you've, we've always had metrics around, uh, you know, the linear weight value of a single pitch. So you can say yeah. this guy's fastball is worth so and so many runs plus or minus over the course of a year. But the critique of that was always this doesn't take into account how that was set up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And going four or five pitches deep and understanding how that impacts it hitters pretty far. But I think this is a pretty large leap just going from one to two. Well, what we're really saying is what if it's not the fastball's fault, but the changeup before the fastball? Right. Exactly. Right. And that's, you know, something that hasn't really been addressed publicly, at, you know, for the most part. Uh, it's been, it's something that, you know, if you if you talk about it in kind of a different way in like player development circles or in evaluation circles, mm-hmm. people will talk about uh, sequencing and we'll talk about, uh, you know, and this is one thing you hear about with both catchers and with pitchers, you know, you you watch this like 20 year old and, and if a, the scout next to you says, oh, that kid really knows how to pitch. That's what this is, is work quantifying part of that kind of nebulous that kid really knows how to pitch thing um because it's it's in the understanding yeah and i think you see you at the major league level you see it with you know guys throwing a a a fastball over the plate in a two-strike count and freezing the hitter that is all based on what the prior pitch was or prior two pitches were, or maybe something you did, you know, in spring training, if you're Greg Maddox and you're at the, you know, guru level of setting guys up. But for, (laughs) but for analytical purposes, we're not going to be trying to link six months of data. It's what what was the pitch before. But I think that, you know, I think Kate, you said that it's not the fastball's fault. It was a change up before. And I think that's exactly right. It may not be another way to look at that is it may not be the change up before, but the fastball wasn't, it was a good fastball and it was a good changeup, but that's not the pitch to throw him after because you just, you know, you just sped up his bat or slowed down his bat or you just change his eye level. Don't you know, take advantage of that. So it, it could be two good pitches. Well, and what you just you know, said, they're changes spot, eye level. But they weren't, you know, mm-hmm. put together well. And that's what this will help, I think. Well, and, and what you just said about changing the eye level is something that actually we'll be, we'll be talking about uh, briefly, but we'll be talking about it in our presentation about, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about tunnels and, and tunneling and, and, but we're also going to talk about when you can like get away with, with not tunneling because it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's the way I view it. At least it's a view. It's a theory of pitching. It's not the theory of pitching. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, 
this is one of those things where you sort of have this revelation that's so obvious and you wonder <laughs> why didn't I have that revelation? I mean, I, I literally, I literally asked Jeff, I was like, wait, are we, are we certain that this hasn't been like said already? <laughs> just, it's just like in a different way. Yeah. I mean, it's it, so like the one, one of the things that really clicked for me, I was talking to a pitching coach and, and I said it and I didn't, I it was just one of those things that just like kind of came out of my mouth without really processing it. And then I was like, wait, that was like kind of profound. But it was, I saw, all I said was the slider is effective because it looks like a fastball and that kind like, duh, you know, like that's the, that's the dumbest thing to have a, you know, epiphany about, but that is fundamentally what makes a slider so difficult to hit is because hitters go to the plate with a plan for a lot of hitters. That plan is I'm looking for a fastball and the effectiveness of a slider comes almost exclusively from the fact that it fools a hitter into thinking it's a fastball when it's not. And that is sort of that two pitch interplay that is really important here because, you know, you don't necessarily have to throw fastball slider for it to be effective. In fact, we can see in data that you might get better outcomes from throwing a changeup slider because you also throw a lot of changeup fastballs. And so a batter sees a changeup and they're expecting a fastball. But if you throw a slider there because it looks like a fastball but isn't one, it fools the hitter, right? And so you get into all these sort of hypothetical opportunities to, to try and to test out simply based on the fact that you're able to preempt the thought process of the hitter and sort of think one step ahead of them by thinking about how your pitches are getting paired together. And so that's sort of that bleeding obvious thing. That's like, God, <laughs> how did I not think of that before? You know? Right. And so as you're, as you guys have done this research and, and I know you're going to be presenting it. So don't want to like spoil any of the results, but like what, what's the context of, of what you found? Like as you're looking at your data, like, and you're going to be presenting it and talking about it, like, is this something that where we're going to be able to look at um, some sort of chart or a table, or is it going to be um, just a bunch of data points? Like how, how are we going to be able to kind of, ingest this as as the public um and and try and understand it in a way that that makes sense and that we can also then start thinking about it um and looking at it as as we see new data come out so we can just understand it better well we're we're presenting some stuff in some charts just to make it more visually appealing um i i'm a firm believer in visual aids <laughs> um I'm I'm not certain, Jeff. Jeff, you would know more about any future like um, research-based plans or something for our website or something. Yeah, I mean, I think I think visualizing the pitches is going to be a big next step for us, and it's something we're working on. Um, the hard part is it's very hard to depict the pitches in 3d flight in a way that does justice to what a hitter sees or to what a hitter experiences. And we want to make sure that from a visualization standpoint, that we do justice to that. Um, but I think that will be immensely helpful because it is, you know, right now the pitch tunnels data is just data points and uh, we can show some really interesting things and we can point out some, and we'll actually, one of the things that we do in our presentation before we get into the deep dive in sequencing is 
show how pitch tunnels data can help us see pitcher evolution over time. So we're looking at a particular pitcher and showing very specific things that have changed about their approach from year to year to year and some, you know, loose connections, correlations, I would say, not necessarily causation, but correlations to performance changes based on changes that have happened through their pitch tunnel data, kind of looking at it through that lens. Um, so that's another way that we can do it is we can take a look at a particular pitcher and use them as an example to show change over time. Um, and we can, you know, show charts that show change in release point or charts that show changes in tunnel distance and things like that. Um, but I really believe that being able to visualize the the pitches in 3D space uh, will be a game changer. It's just, it's a very challenging problem to solve. And it's one that we want to make sure that we do a really good job of. So that's an ongoing project that uh, hopefully we'll have something to you know <laughs> show in the relative future. But it took us a, a couple of years to actually pull the data together. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, <clears throat> there's if we know what we need to do, and we think we know how to do it, but I'm not, you know, I don't, those two things don't always add up to it looks good and is useful. Because, uh, you know, right now it's this it's tables of numbers. And uh, that's, that's not bad. I mean, that's a lot of information. So that's probably a good way for some people, but it's not accessible enough and compelling enough for, for all the audiences. But I think first is what you guys are doing now is going to be uh, will probably give us the ideas and the direction that we need to figure out together. Yeah, that's great stuff. Thank you guys. And uh, we're looking forward to your presentation at Sabre Seminar and what comes out of the continuing research into pitch tunnels. So with that, we're going to move into talking a little bit about how you two got involved in baseball analysis. Kate, do you want to give a little introduction of um, kind of how you got into this um, this mess in the first place? I've been a baseball fan my entire life. Uh, my mom made sure of that. Uh, but I really started getting into it during my, I would say, sophomore, junior year of college. Uh, I got really interested in kind of the futures of some of the, specifically the Rangers minor leaguers. And then that turned into wanting to do you know, minor league evaluation. And that turned into booking literally everybody I knew for, you know, any information they could give me on, you know, pitch identification and pitch tracking and uh, what, you know, how to watch swings and how to watch this and that. And it just kind of snow, snowballed from there. Um, I, yeah, sometimes I'm still not entirely certain how the dots are connected from me in college um, saying, yeah, I'll write about Rangers prospects to my editor at WFAA uh, to now it's it's been kind of a wild ride but you're you weren't studying journalism oh, no. or baseball or pitch tracking in college were you no i'm a, i have a degree in music in fact i have a bachelor's of music in applied flute um, so yeah i have one of the most useless degrees you can have it's great uh, but you know, I you know that it still it still brought me things that are really useful. Like you know, you you would not believe the amount of actual research that goes into having a performance degree, and so having that research background and having that kind of uh, really good grounding from my professors uh, has helped me with what I do now and how I approach things now. So it wasn't it wasn't all 
sitting in a practice room, staring at the wall. Fluting. Well, you see, that was part of the reason was that I, uh, until I got to college, I like never had to practice because I was just better than everybody else just because. And then when I got to college, I actually had to practice. And so that was a that was a new experience. So that's similar to how baseball, some, you know, baseball players come out of high school. They're all the superstar and they go to that next level, whether it's collegiate or pro ball. Oh, I mean, there's, so it's, it's the same parallel, really. So, well, there are a lot of I've actually found that because, you know, one could argue that both baseball and the performing arts are they're both they're both performances. You know, a baseball player is getting out there in front of a crowd and having to perform their best in front of that crowd as you know the same thing for a, a you know a music major or you know any musician and so it's actually something that i'm i'm very interested in is the parallels between um the mental approaches to high performance sports and high performance arts so even you know, your theater majors and stuff like that uh because i've actually and this is something that i i'm probably going to try to get into more next year and as uh especially something like the parallel between the yips and you know something like you you miss it musicians can actually get the yips it's uh you know something where your fingers just won't work your face just won't work or something like that uh so there's i think that there's actually are a lot of parallels and that's actually kind of informed the way that i do evaluation is my experience with being in a a high stress environment where you have to you have to perform see now you can never say that you waste your degree is useless to you so jeff what type of academic background are you wasting in baseball (laughs) (laughs) um so i actually started writing about baseball when i was in grad school uh and this is going to sound terrible but i was sitting in classes and i was a business major in undergrad and i got my master's in business and uh, you know, there were classes, especially I was a marketing major. So there were especially like marketing classes where it, I kind of, I had a whole degree in this thing. And, there, you know, we were teaching marketing to people who had accounting degrees and people who had finance degrees. And so I kind of was just bored because we were going over stuff that I had taken multiple classes in. And uh, I started writing about the Orioles on my own website. And it just kind of, balloon from there. I got asked to write for a larger website that covered all of Baltimore sports. And then I joined beyond the box score and did that for a while before Sam Miller, uh, asked me to join baseball prospectus, which was a really, it was actually like a really funny moment because I was, I remember it said like super vividly. I was sitting in a meeting at work and I got a Twitter direct message. Sam slid into my DMS actually. And, um, I like was like, why is Sam Miller direct messaging me? Like what is happening? I was like, I was like scared. It was very confusing because I just had no concept that I could ever be asked to join baseball prospectus and um, wrote a weekly column for, I guess uh, about a year and a half or so. And then kind of decided that I would rather focus on bigger long-term projects like pitch tunnels. And um you know, from there, uh, Harry eventually kind of caved and invited me to join the stats team. And <laughs> I, am, just, I am cajolable. This is true. <laughs> I think I just more annoyed you into submission, actually. Yeah, so that's, that's, <laughs> well, see, that's, like. that's funny because I, I as I remember it 
for for me, Harry just kind of was like, "Here, do this thing. Download Slack." And yeah, that was a yeah. life cha- life changing experience. <laughs> Kendall's the yeah, person who introduced me to Slack, so you can blame Kendall for all of this. That's right. <laughs> blame me. I'll take it. <laughs> it's all Kendall's fault. Oh boy. So yeah, I mean, I um, I enjoy. I, I mean, now I do a little bit of scouting. I'm sort of learning that world and learning the ropes there. Um, I am still doing some stat stuff. Uh, I I get to do some really kind of fun and interesting projects, and, and we're trying to expand and build on the pitch tunnel piece um, and, and what are the applications there, which has been really cool and exciting and. You know, for me, it's really, I'm just passionate about baseball. I played it a lot when I was younger, ended up getting hurt. And, um, you know, I couldn't really, I knew it wasn't a baseball career, wasn't ahead of me. And so uh, after taking some time off from playing, I sort of came back into it from the analysis side of things and thought, hey, you know, this is a really interesting and fun way to look at the game. And really it just grew from there in terms of, what I wanted to learn. And I, I like, I'm the type of person who likes to always be learning and always asking questions and always digging into why things are the way they are and how do they work and that sort of thing. And so, uh, it's all sort of spawned out of that, of just trying to develop a better understanding of how the game works and why things happen the way they do. And I poke and prod at people much smarter than me, like Alan Nathan and Harry and, Dan Brooks and, you know, any number of people to try and understand half of the things that they know inside and out and backwards, um, just so that I can try and develop a deeper understanding and approach things from a slightly different angle. And, you know, so it's basically my entire approach to the game is just approaching things from a slightly askew angle from the way that pretty much everyone else looks at things, uh, which is sometimes delivered really poor not useful <laughs> results um but also sometimes has delivered some really interesting ideas and concepts so well you know, the good advice is keep the good stuff so yeah that applies to music to sport to anything where it's a creative endeavor and <clears throat> yes sport is creative yes analysis is creative so it's not surprising that uh People who like to solve problems, who like to learn new things, are are intrigued by baseball analysis because it's it's one of the things I think we're going to learn over the course of this series that we're hoping to produce here is that there's people come from many different backgrounds, but they share some common themes. So we hope to be able to get into that more deeply with you guys in the future. But for now, we must say thank you. All right. Well, Thanks for joining us today, Kate and Jeff. And um, so we can find your work at Baseball Prospectus. Anywhere else that you want to plug or get out there? Um, you can find me also at FanRag Sports, where I write about general uh, MLB kind of stuff. And then I'm like a very, very occasional contributor to the local WFA, which is an ABC affiliate uh, down here for Rangers stuff. Okay, great. I, I pretty much just write for BP. I, have, <laughs> I, I don't have the patience to like deal with other people. And frankly, I think BP, the editors are kind of like, who is this annoying people. guy? That, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, so. you just, just got to be strong-willed, and you got to, you know, know, know your editors. It's <laughs> good advice. All right, guys. Well, again, thanks so much for for hopping on, and um, we look forward to uh, your presentation, and then also uh, talking about tunneling and um, pitch sequ- sequencing with you guys again soon. Oh, and we are we are planning on putting our presentation up on SlideShare after the conference. So even if you can't make it, you should be able to see it. Oh, perfect. That's great. great. And good luck in completing your project. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. All right. Thanks for being our first guest. Thanks, guys. No, thank you. No, Jerk. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It's too much gratitude. <laughs> Thank you, Harry. Thank you. Thank you all so much. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank Bye. you, guys. Thank you. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to drop off before y'all keep doing that. I will talk Bye. to y'all later. Bye, Jeff. Bye, guys. You walk away, walk away. Walk away, walk away. From color codes that we leave, I do walk away. Girl, it looks so pretty to me Like it always did Like the Spanish city to me When we were kids Girl, it looks so pretty to me All right, everybody, that is all for today. Um, We are wrapping up here our first episode of the Stolen Signs podcast from Baseball Prospectus. Uh, thank you for joining us and we thank our guests Jeff Long and Kate Morrison from BP and again we want to hear from you so if you email us at stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectives.com or reach us on Twitter at stolen underscore signs um, and introduce yourselves and say hello and we would love to meet you guys Harry thanks uh, thanks for for doing this this is exciting i'm really excited to see where we go and to meet people and hear their stories me too thank you kendall and we look forward to hearing from our listeners and please definitely take to heart the idea that we want uh your ideas for guests and subjects for the show because you know like kendall just said it's about kind of finding finding things finding people finding ideas So we could definitely use your help in rounding that out. And we look forward to talking to you next time.